begin to look into God's Word. We're in the book of uh, Zechariah, chapter 10. We're going to get through uh, chapter 10 this morning. Let me just bring us up to speed. It's been a while since we've been in the Minor Prophets. At the end of chapter 9, there was a, a prophecy that we said had a, a double fulfillment. And uh, the fulfillment would come uh, with uh, those who would stand up in the Jewish population against the Seleucids and would say, we're not going to sacrifice. We talked about Antiochus Epiphanes who had sacrificed a swine on the altar. And there was a, a country priest who was um, also commanded to sacrifice unclean, an unclean animal on a, um, on a town altar, and he refused to do so. He was zealous for the law of God, and he and his sons, there was an uprising, and there was a defeat of the Seleucids, and for about a hundred years there was, there was peace. That's the end of chapter 9. There was also the fulfillment, there's going to be the fulfillment of a millennial kingdom which this prophecy is speaking about as well. In the future, when Christ comes back, there's going to be a thousand-year reign of our Lord Jesus Christ on this planet. The Jews are going to play a central uh, location and important role in this, in this empire of the kingdom, the kingdom with its rightful king, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so part of this prophecy has already been fulfilled in history, and part of the prophecy we still await. And that's why we say together, come Lord Jesus. We are looking for you to come. Lord, we thank you for the first fruits of your kingdom. We saw droplets of rain of your kingdom when you came the first time. You brought the kingdom with you. But the kingdom is, is here, and yet it's also future. And so we are waiting for the future fulfillment of the kingdom of heaven when Christ comes, and there's going to be this wonderful reign of peace from sea to shining sea, from ocean to ocean, across the world, a literal reign of Christ. So we're not talking about some kind of space theology or some kind of what strange um, happenstance, we are talking about Christ actually ruling and reigning. And in light of these promises, the Lord comes and he says, I want you to begin to seek my face. Zechariah is preaching to the first wave of exiles who have returned from the Persian Empire. And they have now returned. There's going to be two more Waves under Persia. Persia is in charge at this time and will be in charge. Persia was in charge when Haggai prophesied during the same time as Zechariah and perhaps just a little bit before, but they were contemporary of one another. So you had Haggai and Zechariah preaching at the same time. If you remember, Haggai was saying, guys, let's get the uh, temple finished and rebuilt. And Zechariah preaching perhaps a little bit later, but during the same time as saying, we need, to, we need to get our hearts right before the Lord. We need a time of refreshing. 
It's time to really turn back to him. You have this first wave, this small wave of of Jewish people who had returned to the land, and Zechariah is trying to fire them up in the power of the Spirit. And he's saying, we need need the Lord. We need the Lord. We need him to rain down on our spirits. We need him to bless our souls. We We need to turn back to the true God. And, of course, Malachi also is going to prophesy. That's the last of our 12 minor prophets. He will also be prophesying while Persia is in charge a little bit later on in history. And then we get to the intertestamental period where you have 400 years of relative peace in between the Old and New Testament. That's why when you flip open your Bibles, you have the Old Testament, and then there's this space. And it doesn't mean that in the next year the New Testament happened. There's actually a space of roughly 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Sometimes they're called the silent years. And these are years when there was no official word of God being given in written form. So we don't have any canonical books from that period, and that's why they are called the silent years. God was still working. God was still moving. God was still speaking to people, but he was not speaking to people through Scripture. Scripture was not being Written And, of course, the next step on the prophetic scene was uh, the Gospels and the appearance of John the Baptist and the appearance, of course, of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where we get the, the New Testament from. So we have the Old Testament. We're coming to the end of that Old Testament period. And we are looking now at these 12 minor prophets in particular. We are looking at the book of Zechariah. And so the Lord has made these wonderful promises. He says, I'm coming. I'm going to come with power. I'm going to uh, refresh the world. I'm going to defeat enemies. And I'm going to come with great strength. We have talked about back in chapter 9, it was actually going to be and will be in the future a bloody battle when the Lord comes back. And he doesn't kill all of his enemies without exception. In fact, many people will enter the millennium, who have not been killed, but but it is going to be bloody. It is going to be a war. And yet the Lord says, Israel, I have have hope for you. I have promises for you. That even though things seem like they're falling apart right now, even though you come back to the land and there's only tens of thousands of you and uh, it seems small in your eyes, Someday I'm going to renew you. I'm going to renew Israel as a nation. And I'm going to indeed renew the world. And so he says, in light of these promises, I want you to come and I want you to seek me. This is where we start in chapter 10. So if you look with me at Zechariah chapter 10. He says this, ask rain from the Lord. Ask rain from the Lord. In the season of the spring rain, from the Lord who makes the storm clouds, and he will give them showers of rain to everyone, the vegetation in the field. So he's saying, I I want you to come to me, and I want you to ask for a, a time of refreshing. Come and turn to me. Whenever the Lord brings a people in, he brings a people in who are who are willing and who want to come. And he is saying, haven't you seen what has happened so far in the nation's life? 
You have rebelled against God. You have gone your own way. And so God has said, okay, you can, you can go your own way. I will send you into exile. That's exactly what he did. He sent his beloved people into exile. And now they're starting to come back. And he's saying to them, it's time to turn and it's time to seek me from, from your whole heart. To really cry out to me for a season of refreshing. Lord, would you come? Lord, would you come down on my soul? This is, the, this is the desired prayer here of the prophet, and behind that, of course, the Holy Spirit. Lord, would you come down and would you refresh us with your rain? Now, we can say here that he's talking about physical rain. He's talking about rain that will come down on their crops. In fact, he says here that I'm the one. I'm the one who produces the physical rain. And so when we talk about the weather, not only... Then, but now, it's the Lord who is behind the weather. And this is why we can, we can cry out to the Lord. We say, Lord, our jobs, if we're farmers, are dependent upon you. Lord, we don't want to seek after false gods, after gods that really can't hear us and, uh, and do nothing. So, Lord, we're coming to you. We're asking you for, for rain. Perhaps we're not farmers. Perhaps we are doing many other things in our lives, but we can come to the Lord. We can say, Lord, we need your provision. Well, this is where we're turning. We're turning away from, we're turning away from false gods and we're turning back to you. And oftentimes the Lord puts us in a situation where we have to cry out to him for our physical needs. We're just saying to ourselves, Lord, I don't know how this is going to work out. Don't get it. But God, I, I recognize that uh, you tell me here in your word, ask rain from the Lord. What is it this morning that you need? What is it in your life that you're seeking the Lord for? Perhaps he's prompting you here this morning to seek the Lord for something, or perhaps you've been seeking him and you're asking him, and the Lord is encouraging your spirit this morning to say, keep seeking me, I'm going to provide for you. Can you imagine the, the farmer out there waiting for rain? And he's, he's desperate for rain. He's got to feed his family. He's got to take care of his, uh, his livelihood. And he's, he's desperate for rain. The Lord is saying, you can't, you can't make the clouds. You can't make it rain. What can you, what can you do to, uh, to bring rain? There's nothing you can do. And sometimes we've said, Lord, we've done everything that we can do. We've, we've, uh, we've taken all the steps that you want us to take. But, Lord, we finally have come to a place where there's, where there's really nothing we can do except cry out to you. And so we have a choice, and the, the choice, the first choice is to begin to cry out to God and to just say, God, I, I need you. I stand here in the need of prayer. I'm asking you that you would come and that you would, uh, you would provide. But this is also definitely talking here about a spiritual refreshing. Somebody is spiritually dry. Somebody is uh, spiritually parched. Walking away from the Lord, and the Lord is saying, come back to me. I'm the one you need. Spend time with me. Come back to the word. Come back to a point of honest prayer. Oh, God, would you refresh our soul? Would you, would you speak to us, Lord? The secret place with the Lord. The secret place with the Lord. Listen, if, if we don't pray in secret, if we don't pray in secret, secret, secret if we don't pray in secret, Sermon brought to you by Elmer Fudd. If we don't pray in secret, 
We don't pray at all. This is the point of Jesus with the Pharisees. Jesus wasn't against public prayers. We pray publicly all the time. Jesus prayed publicly. Jesus would pray in front of people with hands raised. I thank you, O Father. Jesus prayed that way. But what Jesus is against is hypocritical prayer. Prayer that says, I love to pray in public, but I don't really depend on God for anything. And the only time I really pray in secret is to curse God. God, why this? God, why that? If we don't pray in secret, we don't pray at all. So he's saying, do you turn to me for your physical sustenance, but do you also turn to me for your spiritual refreshing in the secret place of your heart? Or are you going to continue to walk away? That, that's the question. Isaiah chapter 44, if you flip over to Isaiah chapter 44, Isaiah chapter 44, verse 3. Isaiah 44, verse 3. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring. And my blessing on your descendants. It's talking about more than just physical blessing, physical water. Turn with me, please, to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, verse 20. Skip back to verse 9, 19, please. Acts 3, verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. Here it is, verse 20. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Times of refreshing. Remember in the Psalms, David would stay in the midst of a parched land or a parched period in his life spiritually, he would say, I remember back. <laughs> I remember back when I felt your presence, Lord. I remember when I was excited about you. Lord, I remember back to services, and I remember back to congregational singing. I remember back to times of hearing your word preached, and I swore I heard you speak, Lord. Lord, I remember gathering with your people and there was a sense of palpable excitement in the air. I remember that. Lord, I'm not there right now. No, I'm not there now. But I remember. And it was real. Lord, send again your refreshing rain. That times again, those times were real. Listen, the devil comes and he wants to just get rid of all of the spiritual history in your life. This is desire. None of it was real. Just move on. 
Nothing to see here. No, no. No, no. This is the time to pray. This is the time to repent. This is the time to get things right with God. To say, God, I do remember. I haven't forgotten those, those encounters, those experiences with you. God, your desire according to your word is not to just leave us in the parched land forever. In light of your millennial promises, which are even still future for us, this is how the Lord wants us to pray. Thy kingdom come, Lord, come, Lord Jesus. Thy will be done. Refresh our souls. This is his desire 500 years before Christ came. This is his desire for us. Now, God says you have a choice. You have a choice in these times. You have a, a choice in the time of decision. Are you going to turn to the Lord, not in some hypocritical public way, but are you going to turn to the Lord in the secret place of your heart, whether you're on your knees or on a chair or on a couch or at work? Are you going to turn to him in the secret place of your heart, truthfully dealing with God? Or here's the other choice. We can go after false gods. And we can say, Times are very difficult in our lives. And so instead of seeking God and asking God, waiting on him, waiting on him for his answer, waiting on him for his power, waiting on him for his refreshing, we say, no, no, we're going to take matters into our own hands and we're going to go after false gods. That's what the text says here. So it says here we can ask the Lord for the storm clouds. He's the one who makes them. He's the one, verse 1, who gives showers of rain. He's the one who gives, in verse 1 there, vegetation in the field. Or, here's the other option. Here it is, verse 2. For the household gods, here they are, the false gods, like Baal, who was supposedly the one who brought storm clouds and rain. For the household gods utter nonsense, and the diviners... See lies. We can go after false gods. And so at this point, we often go, well, that, that's ridiculous. We're not going to go after any false gods. Who believes in Baal here? And it's at this point, usually in the text, we kind of begin to get a little bit lost. We say we don't believe in Zeus or any of these ridiculous gods. We don't have something that we have made. And then, and then sometimes we hear somebody say, well, that's true, but you can make your car your god. And that's true also. And it's often at this point that we hear things like that, that you can make uh, your car your god or your job or whatever the case may be your god. And oftentimes it doesn't really hit our heart. I mean, how many times have we heard that and somebody has been cut to the heart and have said, my car is my God? There might be somebody, and perhaps that's true. And we see such a distinction. It's like they're so odd back then. They worship these false gods. We don't, how do we even relate to that? And so we try 
we try in some way to relate. I dare say we could have um, we could have an altar call at the end of the service for everyone who's made their car their God, and we'd probably have empty altars. Now again, it, it can be, but there seems to be such a distinction in our minds between those people then who worship false gods and us. But when we begin to dig a little, little bit deeper, we begin to see that they're exactly just like us. They're, they're no different at all. The idol then, in those days, was simply a self-made figure or, or item. I was at a Lebanese restaurant this past week and spent a couple hours with another pastor talking to this precious couple about Christ. And this gentleman who was from the Islamic faith was saying, how can people worship these gods that they make? And they made it. It's like we make something out of wood that we have, we have made and then we... And then we worship it as God. That doesn't even make sense. And we were talking about the fact that that doesn't make sense. And yet we have thought that we have moved so far ahead of those kind of people way back then or those kind of people still trapped in that stuff way across the world. But really, even then, the idol was simply a projection of oneself. That's all it was. Those idols, those gods, if you've ever noticed, they, they thought like people. In fact, that was the whole problem with those gods. They thought exactly like people. You want to do whatever you want to do, just make a god in your own image. And, and you can do it. Those gods acted a lot like people. Those gods would fight with one another and do petulant things and act childish. All these kind of different things those gods did. Why? Because they were simply gods that were the extension of the people that were creating them. They looked like us, too, just perhaps with more muscle and perhaps more like our Marvel superhuman figures today. More muscle, superhuman powers. The idol then is really the same thing as it is today. It's an extension of our self. That's all it is. And whether we create a wood image or not, it's still just our image extended out with something that we worship. So here, here's what we're saying. Any thought pattern, any, any behavior, any way that we think, any dream of ours, any plan of ours, any goal of ours, any ideas of ours, the way that we think repetitively over and over again, 
that is not submitted to the thought pattern and the word of God, anything that we continually do in our lives and continually relish in our hearts, that is not submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ is an idol. Now think about this. We, th we think of people and they bring their, their fruit and their, their baskets, perhaps their, their food to these wood-carved images, and we see them. I remember seeing this in Thailand. People setting food in front of their idols, and oftentimes people do it daily. Here they go again with their food, dropping it off, and then it rots and goes into the air, whatever, back into the dirt. Here they come again, back with more fruit, back with more food to the, to the same idol over and over again. We think, that is, that is absurd. Why, why would anybody continually go back to this carved wood house or this metal or, or stone fixture over and over again. But isn't that exactly what we do? Any sinful pattern, we just continually go back to it. Have you ever gone, why am I doing this again? Why am I thinking this way again? Why is this goal, there's this, there's this goal in my mind that I want, perhaps your mind that you want, and you're saying you're fighting with the Lord. You have a goal in your mind or a, a desire in your mind, and you're saying, I'm not going to submit this thing to the Lord. Listen, that's an idol. Anything that we say, we're not going to submit this to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Anything that we say, we're not going to bring underneath the authority of the word. We're going to continually fall back on this, fall back on this, fall back on this, fall back on this, time and time and time and time again. It's an idol. Can I, can I just ask you this, this morning, what are the things that you fall back on time and time and time, time again? And you're like the person presenting the oranges and the, the fruit to the false idol, and you perhaps even know in your heart of hearts, why am I doing this again? Why am I thinking like this again? Why do I have this goal? That is untouchable. Nobody can touch it. Nobody better even question it. Why? It's an idol. And that thing needs to be dealt with from the root up. That thing needs to be pulled. See, I'm all for saying you're... Your car can be your idol, but frankly, that doesn't hit our hearts a lot. Unless you happen to be somebody whose car is your idol. What's untouchable in your life? Nobody better touch this. God can't even touch this. You know, John Calvin was right when he said, Our our height, our hearts or our heights, it's a different language. Our hearts, he said, are idol factories. And the more we rush off to those gods of continual thought patterns, continual ways of relishing things in our heart that we will not allow God's light to touch, 
he tells us exactly what happens as a result of that. Look with me again here in verse 2. He says, you go to these false gods, they utter nonsense. That's really because they're simply extensions of you. That's all they are. They're just things that are made in your own image. That's all a false god is. And by the way, Satan loves them too. And this is why Paul in the, in the New Testament says that when people are worshiping these gods, that they're actually worshiping or sacrificing to demons. And the longer we allow these things in our, in our hearts to be relished and to be cherished, and not allowing the Word of God to actually speak to and, and, and come in and change us and convict us in our life, the more the enemy can get a foothold in our life. And so it's not only uh, a sinful extension of ourselves; the enemy, Satan, comes in. Uh, or one of his friends, one of the demons comes in, or multiple demons come in, and they begin to influence, and they say, yeah, you have the right to this. You have the right to this. Hold that thing as if it were precious, and don't let it go. Listen, the only way we're going to be free, the only way we're going to be free of these things, is if we are honest with ourselves, and deal with the things in our hearts that are genuine idols. Repent of them. For the household gods that are nonsense and the diviners see lies. Oh, they tell you everything you want to hear. The diviners. These are the religious fortune tellers. These are the spiritists. These are the religious people of the land without Christ. They... They tell you everything that you want to hear. They'll tell you, it says here, they lie. They tell lie after lie after lie. They tell false dreams. Don't worry. Keep pursuing this. Everything's going to be okay. It's a lie. Go ahead. Continue to go down your own path here. Don't seek the Lord truly. Oh, you can say you are, but don't seek him truly. You'll be okay. What's he saying here? They tell false dreams. They give empty consolation, empty, empty hopes, unsatisfying, unfulfilled comforts. The lie is, you will get to the end and you will be happy. You will get to the end and you will be fulfilled. If you don't seek the Lord first, you can continue to seek after whatever it is you want to seek after. Oh, you can say you have the Lord on your side. The Lord is your mistress. The Lord will never be a mistress. And so... You're like the person with the fruit, day after day, continuing to come and serve in the temple, and your hopes are never fulfilled, and your soul is never comforted. And as a result, therefore the people wander like sheep. Isn't that exactly what Isaiah says? All we like sheep have gone astray. He says we have gone after our own way. No comfort. 
oh, there's happiness for a little bit, and then you get, it's like a drug. Then you got to go for it the next time, and then the next time, and then the next time, and the next time. And it never fulfills. It never brings genuine comfort. Listen, if you're not just satisfied with the Lord, just in your life, you need to meet him. Your life is one of empty consolations and following false promises. You need to meet him. If you're wandering like a sheep without consolation, you need him. Then it says here that they are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. They have they have no true guidance, everybody that's trying to guide them is either lying to them or telling them simply things that they want to hear. You want to hear this? I'll tell you that. So you can imagine Israel. You have a bunch of people telling each other things that they want to hear from each other. God is saying two choices. The one is painful. That's following Christ. You want to follow Christ? You're going to stand alone. You want to follow Christ? Or? Or you can take the easy route. I'm going to tell you, the more I, the more I think about these things, the more I can't wait for heaven. This really is not our home. Someday this earth is going to be completely restored and renewed, and this will be our home, but it'll be completely different. But Paul struggled. He said, listen, I, I want to be here. You know, I get to minister the gospel and see people get saved, and living for Christ is wonderful. But he said, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Heaven is our home, and heaven will be this earth restored someday. Praise the Lord. Listen, if you can't really say that, that doesn't excite you. Heaven is not something that even really thrills your heart. Your mind is here, 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 here. Is it possible you have an idol in your life? Is it possible you're listening to the false diviners and those who give empty consolation? It says here that they're afflicted. The word in the Hebrew, afflicted, means stooped over or mistreated. They're browbeaten. Isn't this interesting? Who, who are they browbeaten by? Not those who preach the truth. They're browbeaten. See, this is this is the lie of the devil. The lie of the devil says, look, you can listen, you can listen to the teaching of scripture and you'll be so weighed down by it. Oh, so blah, blah, blah. So on you. The burden of God. Or you can listen to Oprah. It's a lot of fun. 
lot of fun. Let me ask you this. Who's browbeating you? Who's a real oppressor? That's the question here. Who are the real oppressors? Are it those who faithfully and passionately preach the truth, the true shepherds? That's what this is all about, is a true shepherd. Or is it those who oppress the people? Are those people who give empty consolations? And according to the scripture, it's those who give empty consolations, empty comforts, empty promises that weigh the people down. How backwards do we have it without Christ? We say it's the people who say, freedom, do whatever you want. They're the people who give us freedom, and they're the people who give us comfort. No, no, not according to the scripture. Can you imagine somebody hunched over, stooped over? That's what it means to be afflicted. The, burden, the burdens of the world are on you. The burdens of the world, hunched over, afflicted. Psalm 94.5, if you flip over there with me, Psalm 94.5 uses the same, same word. Psalm 94.5. They crush your people, O Lord. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. Same word, they afflict your heritage. That is, they, 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 O Lord, they afflict your people. By the way, sometimes the Lord puts us in times of affliction so that we begin to turn to him. Psalm 119. Same word again, Psalm 119, verse 67. Psalm chapter 119, verse 67. Before I was afflicted, that is before I was, Lord, before I went through some rough times in my life. You ever go through rough times in your life? Or has everyone here gone through just easy times? Hardship. You know the scripture says? Listen, here, here's the gospel. You want to hear the gospel preach? Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. Here it says this, verse 67 of Psalm 119. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Lord, before you crushed me. Listen, here it is. Here it is. Before, before Lord, you, you weighed me down. Lord, you had to crush me. Before you weighed me down, I was here. Then I was, can barely walk with my knee. And, and then I was here. Uh, all over the place. Lord, I couldn't stay in one place with you. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, like Grover from Sesame Street. 
I was near. Then I was far. Okay. Lord, I was everywhere. And then you afflicted me. Now, what's it say here? Psalm 119. Let me flip back there. Psalm 119. Verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your, your word. What is it that keeps an old woman in church? What is it that keeps an older man in church after many years? And every person, if you love Jesus, have gone through affliction in your life. You could hear stories. You could probably hear, I'm not talking about just an older person. I'm talking about a mature older saint. They probably could tell you a story like this. Before I knew Jesus, I was... I was doing whatever I wanted. I was serving every idol in my own mind. And the Lord brought affliction into my life. And he crushed me. And now I'm content in him. Has learned. That's, that's, that's what the psalmist is saying here. Before I was afflicted, Lord, I'm, I'm all over in, in my mind, all over the place. Lord, but when I was afflicted, when I was afflicted, you taught me. You taught me to stay in your word, Lord. And the truth is we have we have a Savior who's like us, who never sinned and never went astray. What a Savior. Psalm 50, uh, Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was afflicted, but he did not open his mouth. Why? He was doing it for us. He was doing it for us. So we have a we have a Savior who is afflicted for us. You say, I, I wish I had somebody knew what I was going through. Now we're back to the beginning of the text, aren't we? Seek the Lord. You have a Savior who knows exactly what you are going through. In fact, why don't you turn with me to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Go back to verse 4, Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. What's the next word? And afflicted. But notice what it says again in verse 7, same chapter. 
he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. That's the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you We thank you for the word of Christ. Lord, we have a choice in this life to either seek you and the rain that you so willingly want to give us in our lives to provide for our every need, to provide for the spiritual needs in our hearts. You, oh God, know everything. Lord, I pray if there's things in our lives that you're even perhaps pointing out to us in our own hearts, that you're saying, I'm pressing this, I'm pointing this out, um, that's an idol. It's an untouchable in our hearts. you would speak, Lord, to that. And Lord, in the quietness of this moment, not for show, uh, not, not for people to see, but in the quietness of our own heart, we would say, oh Lord, take that, take that idol from us. Lord, forgive us for seeking after things, Lord, without submitting them to you. Thunder to us, we pray through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.